Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stress and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMEA markets. It's Tuesday, July the 18th, and I'm Caterina Dassier. And I'm Phoebe Pinting. Coming up this week, we will be discussing the outlook for the European automotive industry, given the mixed macro picture and fragile consumer confidence levels. Then we will discuss Australian wine producer Accolade Wines, which is working with Rothschild to address maturities in 2024 and 2025. Finally, we will talk through the key highlights of the primary market this week. But first, we are going to talk about Austrian real estate company Signa, which recently secured a sizable equity investment from shareholders to support the company in a deteriorating real estate market. Aurelia, you spent most of last week going through a lot of reports on Signa. The company has attracted a lot of attention from the German-speaking press in recent years. Can you tell us a bit more about the company and what people find interesting about it? Hi Phoebe. Yeah, so um, the real estate company Signa um, is something I really wanted to write about for a long time because to me and many other people in the market, it, there's something mysterious about it. Let's put it like that. What's so mysterious about it? I think people find it fascinating because, at least from the outset, the company, which was founded in 1999, has been very successful. Um, maybe too successful, some people <laughs> would say. According to its website, the company's assets are worth about 28 billion, and there's an additional gross development value of 25 billion. So it's huge. And the company owns, at least partly, a lot of famous assets. Selfridges, the Chrysler building, the famous department store KDW in Berlin, and is also developing a few prestigious projects like the Elb Tower in Hamburg. But I think because the company structure is largely private and because the founder, a businessman called René Benko from Tyrol, has been involved in a few controversies, a lot of people have suspicions whether something is maybe too good to be true especially now that the real estate market environment is turning. So I wanted to kind of go behind the scenes and understand a bit more about the company. So how did you go about the research and what did you find out? Yeah, so a lot of the press coverage uh, focused a lot on the founder, René Benko, and the insolvencies of the Ast- Austrian furniture chain Kika Liner, which uh, filed for insolvency after Signa sold, I should say and um, Galeria Karstadt-Kaufhof. Um, there was also an, in two insolvencies actually there. Um, and obviously that uh, was a lot in the press because of the job losses involved. Of course, here at REAG, we take a different focus. Uh, so I'm, what I wanted to find out was about the main business of Signa, which is the so-called Signa Prime Selection, a portfolio of prestigious real estate assets in the Dach region, northern Italy and to a lesser extent in the UK and US, as well as the development part of the business called Signa Development. Okay, so maybe give us a quick overview of the structure and tell us what you found out about the core business. Yes, so broadly speaking, at the top we have the Signa Holding GmbH, and then there are the different segments. So we have the Signa Retail segment, a real estate business, And if you go a little bit further down um, in the real estate business, you have Signa Prime and Signa Development, as well as Signa US Selection and Signa Luxury Hotels. And then in the Signa Retail segment, we have the department store group Galeria Karstadt-Kaufhof, 
an e-commerce sports retailer called Signa Sports United, and the luxury department stores Selfridges, Globus, and KDW. So now to the business. To be fair, based on my research and based on the information I could find, things don't look so bad. We estimate that the real estate segment has about 12 billion of debt and LTV ratios across the business are in the mid-40s region. Most importantly, perhaps, Signa has successfully sold a lot of assets recently, which, as we all know, is quite difficult uh, because there are not so many transactions and we are kind of a bit in a limbo in terms of where valuations will go. That's good in terms of having extra liquidity in the challenging market environment. What about debt maturities? Yeah, so that's obviously the other key um, question here for real estate companies at the moment. But based on the information I got, the group has about 500 million coming due in the remainder of 2023, which in the context of a 12 billion capital structure in the real estate segment is not terrible. And if you look at a longer time horizon, it's about 3 billion coming due until 2025. So that's not unsolvable either. Based on our info, a lot of this debt is bank debt, which generally speaking should be easier to refinance or extend uh, the maturity uh, compared to bond debt at the moment. What about the shareholders of Cigna? Who are they? And if they have committed to a 500 million equity raise, can we assume they will remain supportive? Yes, that's right. The holding company's shareholders are Rene Benko's family trust with a 66% shareholding, followed by shareholdings of a range of wealthy business people, including the family trust of Haselsteiner, the family Oyster, Ernst Tanner and Thorsten Töller. They've all committed to an equity raise of up to 500 million at the holdco level, which should shore up the company's liquidity in the near term, for sure. So in summary, do you think we don't have to worry about Cigna and all the negative headlines are a bit overblown? I wouldn't say there are no concerns. Um, of course, as we said, the market is going through a crisis. Uh, we have seen pretty clear evidence of valuations heading down. Additionally, a few businesses in the retail part of the Cigna structure are or were struggling. Uh, Galeria Karstadt Kaufhof only emerged from its second insolvency proceedings recently. The Signa Sports United segment's share price fell about 40% this year alone. And Signa Holding had to make a 150 million incremental equity commitment to support it. And the Kika Liner business, so of this furniture chain, um, that wasn't doing very well uh, before it was sold either and then filed for insolvency after the sale. However, I think what's certainly positive is that Signa companies have sold the assets even in this challenging environment. And it's a clear sign from equity holders that they remain committed. So I think um, creditors can at least take some comfort. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete a short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. On Monday, Briori published a research piece on the automotive sector, highlighting the industry trends, forecasts and risks. We're here with our analyst today, Manuel Coelho, who has covered it closely. Tell me, Manuel, has the European automotive sector turned a corner after the pandemic? Hi, Katerina. So it seems it did. Supply chain bottlenecks caused by the pandemic have eased and there is still pent-up demand driving up 
global light vehicle sales and production. This is a credit positive for the industry as a whole. Just to give you some figures, from January to May, global light vehicle sales were up 10%, though global vehicle sales are far from peaks of 95 million units sold in 2017. In 2022, the number was about 79 million. On the consumer front, we see an increase in consumer confidence in both the UK, EU and the USA, supporting stronger demand for autos. Also, the outlook for EVs is strong and global sales are expected to grow by 35% year over year, according to the International Energy Agency. From 30, 13% in 2022, the average share of electric cars in global auto sales is set to rise to 18% in 2023, 30% in 2025, and as much as 70% by 2030. Uh, ONMs like uh, Volkswagen and Volvo appear to be better prepared for the EV transition, given the company's EV targets and milestones already achieved, as opposed to the likes of uh, Jaguar Land Rover, which seems to be lagging behind. Given China's importance in supply of key auto components, in our report we list which ONMs are more exposed to the country. We show that there are clear contrasts between the best credit rated under Yorg's universe, Stellantis, since it has exited China, the Chinese market in the face of political tensions, as opposed to Aston Martin, uh, Jaguar Land Rover, uh, Vol Volvo and uh, McLaren. Okay, got it, uh, Manuel. And uh, in regards to auto suppliers, which business models do you see being more impacted? So, among auto parts, the components most at risk of phasing out in the long run will be engine systems, transmission and fuel injection. Gearbox, for instance, will no longer be needed in electric cars that have just one gear. In general, a redesign of structural parts, suspension and other parts is required, so an increase in investments will be required for these auto suppliers to remain competitive. On the other hand, small and medium-sized companies with fewer resources and risk-averse management styles might be the most at risk to see a deterioration in their credit profiles. That's, that's very interesting. And in terms of investors' appetite for bonds issued by credits in this space, what have you observed? So, in the year to date, automotive exposed issuers print at the highest yield. We calculated at 10% on average. This compares with an average yield to maturity of 7.6% for all the fixed rated bonds closed since January. However, the 10% average is biased by the specific traits of the issuers that came to market, which commanded a premium. For example, Benteler was a first-time issuer. Schaeffler's parent company issued bonds that are structurally subordinated. And Adler Pelzer had quite a weak credit profile and the issuance had to be supported by an equity injection to get it through. Thank you, Manuel. Part two of this sector review, including discussion on individual credits and some relative value analysis, will be published in the next few weeks. So keep an eye out.
Farouk, you wrote about Australian wine producer Accolade Wines last week. Can you walk us through the summary of that situation? Hello, Phoebe. Thanks. Um, sure. Accolade Wines has upcoming debt maturities, including a 150 million uh, Australian dollar RCF falling due in April next year and a 550 million Australian dollar term loan due in June of 2025. The market view is uh, the company will find it challenging to refinance its maturities and it will have to seek alternative liability management solutions. And this view is reflected in the price uh, with the term loan currently quoted at below 50 on Solve Advisors. You said refinancing will be challenging but it still seems to be a possibility, right? Well, the market thinks his sponsor, Kailal, has to write a big equity check to support the refinancing. If it doesn't provide that support, the company will have to seek alternatives, and this could include a debt for equity swap. Thanks, Farouk. Can you also tell us how the company has been performing recently, and what's the outlook for earnings? Um, the company doesn't report financials publicly, um, but a Modi's report from March says that the company had weak operational performance in the first half, which ended on December 30th. Um, revenue rose 2.1% year over year, but this was driven by price increases because volumes were flat. Reported EBITDA fell almost 10% to $38 million Australian dollar. Um, the performance was affected by high inflation, exacerbated by the UK market where price increases need to be negotiated at least 16 to 20 weeks ahead of implementation. Um, in terms of outlook, Modi's expects the group's EBITDA over the next 18 months uh, to be substantially below its previous forecast and leverage measured as Modi's adjusted gross uh, debt to EBITDA to be above 18 times during both 2023 and 2024. with high-yield reporter Beatrice Mavralion earlier today and asked about what's going on in the primary market. Here is what she said. So the primary market is still active this week as issuers seek to raise debt ahead of the summer holidays. German software company Software Edge AG is marketing a 1 billion euro term loan B to support the company's take private by private equity Silver Lake. <clears throat> the deal is one of few leveraged buyouts to come to the market over recent months and possibly potentially signals the beginning of a gradual return to larger numbers of these types of deals. There are apparently two more uh, take private LBOs which may come to the market shortly after the summer. Activity in the loan market continues to be focused on amend and extend transactions. There are term loan B extensions in the market for investor services group IQEQ, chemical producer Ancor, and pharmaceuticals company Zentiva. These deals are generally being priced at interest rates 125 to 150 basis points, more or less higher than the original margins uh, these companies paid, putting pressure on interest coverage ratios for these issuers, which can be difficult for some companies and sectors facing expectations of limited growth in challenging economic conditions. However, investors agree that it, it is preferable to refinance now at higher rates and possibly refinance or reprice later than allowing maturities to approach further while increasing the risk that the primary market conditions may worsen. Uh, meanwhile, Finnish health and social care provider Mehelainen is expected to come to the market shortly with a loan A&E. And with many of the um, smaller, easier capital structures now extended, some of the larger and more challenging ones will now need to be addressed, loan investors have said. 
There's also a 350 million euro term loan B in the market for school operator inspired education to fund the company's M&A pipeline and repay its RCF drawings. And German packaging group Syntagon is marketing a 100 million euro term loan B add-on, which will also be used to repay RCF drawings. Finally, Irish energy group Energia is marketing um, 600 million euros of senior secured notes for refinancing. The company will also pay a dividend. However, this is expected to come from cash on its balance sheet. The company has benefited from higher EBITDA as a result of utilization at its power plants and high, high power prices. However, the group's um, uh, consumer solutions business has been underperforming, although management said it expects, expects profitability for this segment to improve. Join Reorgs, Brian Conway, Beatrice Mavrolion and Charlie Ward on Wednesday, July the 26th for a review of the primary markets during the first half of the year. Our analyst and editorial team will present Reorgs insights and analysis of issuance and covenant trends during the period, as well as the outlook for the second half. Register for the webinar on rior.com or email marketing for more information. Join thousands of industry professionals using ESGX by Reorg to address regulatory reporting and underwrite investments with ESG. Visit rior.com ESGX now to request a trial. We'd like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete the short survey, the link attached to this podcast, and let us know how we're doing. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next week for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.